0: navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points in miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote-unquote "bad tourism," and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by far wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast.
1: This is The Secret Life of Canada, a podcast that looks at the undertold and untold history of Canada.
2: Today, fame takes on many forms. There are the icons who are famous the world over for leaving an indelible place on history, the Nelson Mandela's or Mother Teresa's. There are the icons like Oprah Winfrey or Shah Rukh Khan. And then there's the kind of fame that could mean you make a video of yourself laughing while wearing a Chewbacca mask in your car and it goes viral. But there was a time when being famous meant three things. Your face was on money, you had streets and buildings named after you, or your likeness was chiseled out of stone and erected for all to remember. So what did these most famous of famous do to warrant a statue in Canada? And did they really deserve that honour? Well, we're about to find
1: out. What are we getting up to today?
2: So today we're going to dive into the deeply contentious subject of historical
1: monuments, plaques, and statues. You know, when we started this podcast, we said we wouldn't deal with all those people. And by those people, I mean all the really famous ones that we already know about. I know we said that, but we also said we're going to try and tell the untold stories. And for most
2: of the people who have statues in Canada, it seems that only one side of their accomplishments have been highlighted. So I'm going to take this opportunity to highlight the other side. So you're going to drag them? No, not necessarily. We are going to take a look at a bunch of people who have monuments and we'll look at the good and the bad of each person's history and then decide if they should still get their honor. To be fair, I've modeled this proceeding after the Canadian justice system, So we will have an all-Indigenous jury decide, just like the Canadian justice system, if these folks' honors and accolades are warranted. If that jury is hung, meaning it can't decide, just like the Canadian justice system, exactly like the Canadian justice system, a black female judge will help decide the verdict. So you mean us. Yes. Phelan, you will be the all-indigenous jury, and I will be the black lady judge. Okay, Black so, lady judge. <laughs> that's a new show I'm. that's going to happen. Black lady judge. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, the black lady judge. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, I would watch that. I would totally watch that. Okay, so here is your buzzer and bell. After the case has been made, you will either ring the bell, right, which means the statues should stay up, or the buzzer... Which means you think it should all come down. If you use them at the same time, yeah, 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 it means you are undecided, and I will help you make the case either way. Yeah. Yes, that's, yes, you're going to do that? Yes. Okay, okay, I completely regret this. Ready? stop doing this. You gave me a problem. I know, I did, I did. Big mistake. That was a big problem. Okay, so are you ready to begin? Let's begin. Okay. In Quebec City with Samuel de Champlain. So, okay, wait, 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 (laughs) wait. Wait, you have to let me say stuff first and decide. We have to be impartial here, Okay.
1: Not my strong suit.
2: Okay. So, we mention him a lot in our episodes because his arrival was essentially the arrival of
1: colonization. Exactly, which is why I boo him in every episode. Right.
2: So, here's the quote-unquote good stuff. Champlain is most widely recognized as the father of New France, which eventually became Quebec City and Quebec. He mapped a lot of the coastline of the country, and he traveled and died a hero in this foundling place called Canada, before it was even Canada. Back in France, though, they were kind of like, meh, who cares about the Champlain guy? But to the French, Canadians, and the colonists, he was the first Canadian hero. For the most part, he comes off pretty well in Canadian history with quotes like this.
1: Champlain's achievement was nevertheless considerable. Following where Cartier had pointed, he obtained for France the St. Lawrence River the only practical water route into the heart of the continent from the rocks of the Gaspé to the prairies beyond the Great Lakes. Champlain's place as a geographer and explorer is incontestable. Equally important, he was a notable publicist, an indefatigable promoter, qualities that helped him navigate the shoals of the French court and a succession of rich and powerful patrons
2: at the starting point of the uninterrupted history of Canada we find Champlain he is at its origin by his own choice and because of the principles in which he believed in him we must salute the founder of Canada <laughs> no 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 we're not done yet I'm not okay, done okay, yet okay. okay. So all of that meant Champlain has received a lot of honors. He has so many bridges, schools, street, and parks named after him. I I can't list them all. He's even got a valley and a lake. And of course, he has many statues, including one in Quebec City. And one in Ottawa where he holds an astrolabe upside down. An astrolabe was a tool used to determine the time of day and they accidentally put it in his hand upside down. Nice. But the other problem about this statue and depiction of Champlain, which was erected in 1915, is that the original had a kneeling indigenous man at its base known as the Nameless Indian Scout. It was eventually removed in the 1990s because people started to realize, well, this is kind of offensive, but the statue is still there. Oh, wait. This is supposed to be the good part? Well, I guess now we're sailing into the bad part. Okay, So, good. okay, here's an abridged history of gross things that he did. Number one, he married a 12-year-old when he was 43. At the time, it was illegal to cohabitate until a girl was 14, still gross, but Champlain got special permission from her parents to consummate the marriage before that. Her name was Helene, and wonder of wonders, in most accounts, they say she hated him and that they didn't get along. Wonder why. Number two, his arrival to this land brought disease, strife, and peril to the indigenous people who came into contact with him and his men. But worse than all that and more devastating is number three, he brought religion. Yes. Okay, well, I'm not done yet. Let me explain what happened. So he was traveling with the Wendat, which he was doing not only because they knew of the
1: way around, obviously, but because he wanted to keep them separate from the Haudenosaunee. Right. Because he knew that they were fighting together, those two groups of people. But if they came together, they would be able to kick New France, a.k.a. Quebec City's But So he did his best to keep them apart.
2: But moreover, he brought along the Jesuits, who thought the Wendat would be a great group of people to force their religion on. So Champlain and company started to put conditions on trading with the Wendat. They told them, we'll trade with you, but you have to let these religious guys in these black robes preach to you. The Jesuits knew that if they could get their foot in the door, they could be successful. They had already set up missions in Asia, and from that experience, they knew how to indoctrinate people. Champlain and
1: the Jesuits were successful because they lied. They told the Wendat that all of the diseases that had suddenly showed up and could not be cured by their traditional medicines or elders, the only way they could be cured was to adopt the Jesuit religion. So the Wendat believed
2: the Catholic religion could heal them from all the disease, but in the end, their population was cut in half and the Jesuits and Champlain maintained an air of superiority. So, what say you? Does all his stuff remain up, or should we get out the bulldozer? Okay, well, i yeah. Okay, yes. Okay, that seems very... De- boo, yes, boo, yes,
1: yes, yes. boo, boo, boo. Okay,
2: so hopefully that clears up for everyone why you boo, and, yeah. you know, generally and why... Big, <laughs> big thumbs down. Moving on to one that's not so clear and maybe you should just have an amendment or something attached to it that says like, you I know, object. they did some stuff.
1: The judge is trying to sway the jury before she can even make her case. Yes, you're on the jury so you can't object to the judge. But you're the judge. I know I'm the judge. I don't but understand I'm this the-
2: game. Okay, I will allow it as these rules are confusing. Thank okay. you. Moving on to the Statue of the Famous Five. This is a monument dedicated to five Albertan women who fought for women's rights in Canada and more specifically sought to have women. Declared as persons under the law. They were Emily Murphy, Irene Parlby, Nellie McClung,
1: Louise McKinney, and Henrietta Edwards. So at first, they lost their petition to have women declared persons when Canada's Supreme Court summarized its unanimous decision that women are. Not such persons.
2: Thanks for that, Supreme Court of all guys. But the good news is they kept fighting and it was overturned a year later in 1928. The five won the case and women became persons under the law. These women were tireless. So
1: here's the good stuff. Irene Parlby was the first female cabinet minister in Alberta. She was the first president of the United Farm Women of Alberta. She advocated for rural women and children.
2: Henrietta Edwards studied Canadian law on her own so she could advocate on behalf of women and children and eventually female prisoners. She became so knowledgeable she penned two handbooks and many women's associations would just go to her for legal advice instead of male lawyers even though she had no formal training. She wrote this.
1: The woman is queen in her home and reigns there. But unfortunately, the laws she makes reach no further than her domain. If her laws, written or unwritten, are to be enforced outside, she must come into the political world as well. And she has come.
2: Now, Louise McKinney. One of the other famous five, she was the first woman to be elected to a Canadian legislature, and she did so in 1917. Along with some of the other ladies of the five, she also helped bring down the Dower Act, which prevented women from keeping property. A weird side note, though, is Louise was very much against alcohol and spent a good bit of her advocacy talking about the perils of booze and tobacco. So, some
1: good, but no fun. Yeah, she was the Miranda of the group. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of Canada's most notable women are now being compared to Sex and the City characters. No, but
2: it's just a reference. But in case you're wondering, everyone, they were all Miranda.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there weren't many Samanthas kicking around. No. I'd like to see that I statue. I mean, not that we know of.
2: That might be another statue. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> (laughs) Here's Nellie McClung with her legs over her head. (laughs) Inappropriate. Edit it out. Oh, come on. (laughs) All right. Okay. Uh, But what about Nellie McClung and Emily Murphy?
2: Okay, well, I hope you're taking extensive notes so that you can judge this properly. So Emily Murphy volunteered for and ran a lot of organizations that advocated for women. The Canadian Women's Press Club, the National Council of Women of Canada, the Federated Women's Institute of Canada. She wrote under the very Canadian pseudonym Jamie Canuck and fought for women's autonomy in everyday life. She also has a Canadian Heritage Minute. So does Nellie McClung. Yep, that's right. Nellie McClung was a great speaker, which she used to gain support for women. She became an MLA in Edmonton and fought for safety reforms in factories and for women's property rights.
1: So lots of good stuff in there.
2: Yep. Uh, Now the bad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm a bit nervous. Okay. So Emily Murphy also wrote a book under Janie Canuck called The Black Candle, which was on the perils of drugs. In it, she writes... It is hardly credible that the average Chinese peddler has any definite idea in his mind of bringing about the downfall of the white race, his swaying motive being probably that of greed, but in the hands of his superiors,
1: he may become a powerful instrument to that end. And... While the Assyrians, Negroes, and Greeks in Canada have become allies of the Chinese in carrying on the drug traffic, it is well known to the police and government authorities that many Anglo-Saxons, men prominent in social and business circles, as well as lawyers, physicians, and druggists, have also become engaged in the illicit sale because of the enormous profits accruing therefrom. She goes after Chinese
2: people in the book pretty hard, and that kind of racist attitude served both her, and Nellie McClung well when they started advocating for eugenics. The, uh, yes, big yes. Another one, another one. Yeah, and a third... Thank you. The definition of eugenics is discouraging reproduction of persons having genetic defects or presumed to have inheritable, undesirable traits. Yeah,
1: it's the same principle the Nazis used to. just to give that some context. They both loved the idea of population control, and because of their hard work, it resulted in thousands of people who were sterilized without their consent under the Sexual Sterilization Act of Alberta. And most of these people were either living with a disability or mental illness,
2: Indigenous or or just poor. Many never even knew they were sterilized until much later. This legislation that they helped bring about was enacted in 1928 and was not repealed until 1972. So many lives destroyed. So many. And another big criticism that comes up every time the famous five are honored with another plaque or statue is that they were very clear in their advocacy on behalf of women, but it was white women. So in a way... They were like sex in the city. <laughs> yes. Because Blair Underwood in five episodes does not count. So what say you, jury? Yeah, yeah.
1: I agree. I agree. It's very complicated. Motion uh-huh. for I, I know nothing about uh, N- nor the, do the I legal system. Motion heard. Um, I motion for an <laughs> amendment on any of the statues.
2: I decree or a amendment shall be issued. Because this statue is in a a semicircle, basically. All the women are kind of talking with each other. And I feel like, let's finish the circle. And to match their five, we will put five people that represent every group that was sterilized under this act.
1: Yeah, like you don't get the good without the bad.
2: Plus just like a whole bunch of Chinese people circling them eight times because they seem to have a big problem with Chinese people as well. Let it be decreed. (laughs) I like your gavel. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, if you're going to be a black
1: judge, <laughs> you might as well go for it.
0: Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points in miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma, I'm Aisling Green, host of Unpacked by Afar, and in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote-unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Okay, and now for our last one, our first prime minister. We started on the street for this one, and asked people what they knew about John A. Macdonald.
1: What do you know about John A. Macdonald?
0: I think the only thing I know about him is that he was our first prime minister, and possibly he was on the $1 bill. that doesn't exist anymore, but that would be the extent of my knowledge. Scottish, uh, I think, born in Edinburgh. He was an alcoholic, or at least that's the rumor. I worked for a leather jacket company.
2: And I, I'm a designer, and one of the jackets that we
0: manufacture is named after John MacDonald. It's really, a, it's a classic, classic design. Other than that, I don't know much about him as a man. I don't know much. I'm pretty ignorant and apathetic about Canadian politics and history and stuff like that. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs>
1: so johnny mcdonald he's on our ten dollar bill he was also on the toonie for a while Thirteen different schools in the country bear his name. Uh, There is an international airport in Ottawa named in his honor. Uh, We have parks and mountains and streets and freeways named after this man. And his likeness is in museums and historical societies and statues. There are so many statues. Let's just say they span from sea to shining sea. That's right. So let's get into what people say is the
2: good. John Alexander Macdonald was our first prime minister, and essentially he was responsible for what the map of Canada looks like today. He helped form the union of all the provinces that would become Canada. He was instrumental in designing the British North America Act, which paved the way for confederation. Some argue he's the only reason we have a country. He was considered so good at leading, he was prime minister twice. He was defeated in 1874 after a big scandal where he was accused of profiting from donors who were connected to the building of the railway. But by 1878, he was back in power after somehow convincing everyone he was the best man for the job. He established the Northwest Mounted Police, which, yes, some, well, some people listed as a positive because the Northwest Mounted Police eventually turned into the RCMP. Yes. Okay. I, I understand where that's coming from. I don't even have to use my words anymore. (laughs) It's true. He made sure Canada was physically linked by taking on one of the largest Canadian projects ever, the Canadian Pacific Railway. He was also a protector of Canadian autonomy. As many people tried to have Canada just join the United States, he fought against it. During a speech in 1861, he said, If I had influence over the minds of the people of Canada, any power over their intellect, I would leave them this legacy. Whatever you do, adhere to the union. We are a great country, and shall become one of the greatest in the universe if we preserve it. We shall sink into insignificance and adversity if we suffer it to
1: be broken. He also said, When the school is on the reserve, the child lives with its parents, who are savages, and though he may learn to read and write, his habits and training, mode of thought, are Indian. He is simply a savage who can read and write. It has been strongly impressed upon myself as head of the department that Indian children should be withdrawn as much as possible from the parental influence. And the only way to do that would be to put them in central training industrial schools where they will acquire the habits and modes of thought of white men.
2: What most plaques and statues forget to mention is that John A. MacDonald was not only our first prime minister, but he was also the minister of Indian affairs and the architect of the
1: residential school system. That's right. Also, I'd just like to say I didn't press the button there and I'm showing restraint. Good for you. Although,
2: you know what? For this guy,
1: press it all you want. Thank you. It's really enraging. It's really enraging. We're not done, though. All right, all right. While Macdonald dreamed of a strong union of provinces that would be Canada, he also dreamed of a day when Indigenous people would be eradicated. Hey. Still here. Sub <laughs> Canada. How you doing, girl? Uh, he was the orchestrator of a systematic genocide. He said...
2: We have been pampering and coaxing the Indians, that we must take a new course. We must vindicate the position of the white man. We must teach the Indians what law
1: is. He is credited in establishing the Northwest Mounted Police. (laughs) <laughs> Who were used to enforce new reserve borders. <laughs> yeah, I know. It makes... I yeah. You are the jury. <laughs> um, for families that refuse, McDonald's government used a simple and devastating tactic, Starvation. It was used uh, to move people off the land so that they could make way for the railroad. The railway meant brutalizing indigenous people
2: who were in the way of quote-unquote progress. The biggest thing the railway brought was settlers, which ended up pushing the Métis west into Saskatchewan, as by
1: this time the buffalo were gone and the fur trade had shrunk. In 1884, the Métis in North Saskatchewan River asked exiled Louis Riel to come home. Riel had escaped to the U.S. after leading the Red River Rebellion. He came home, and as soon as he did, he started asking for reparations and compensation for his people. MacDonald saw Louis Riel as greedy, and Riel saw the government as deceitful. True that. True that. True that. So Louis Riel
2: saw no choice other than to lead another rebellion. MacDonald fought the Métis with an army of 8,000, and irony of ironies used the New railway to get to Saskatchewan. Eighty people lost their lives, and the rebellion ended with Riel's surrender and arrest. Macdonald had a choice to spare Louis Riel's life, which would have helped him in Quebec, or hang him, which would have helped Macdonald in the West. Riel was hung on November sixteenth,
1: eighteen eighty-five. Okay, so let's pause here on the negative side we have john a being the architect of residential schools yep. he starved first nations and metis people yep. and he was the jury judge and i mean not executioner but might as well be of louis riel so yeah
2: well there was a jury but
1: yeah they were all i jury. So. Yeah, basically an extension of him. So I'm going to just have a think about. oh, wait, no, no, I know, I know, wait, no. (laughs) Okay, 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 but before you
2: decide, there's one more thing that I
1: haven't mentioned. So
2: what you should know is the railway that he was credited as building was actually built by over 15,000 Chinese men. The conditions they worked in were brutal, and almost 600 men died to make it. Although Canada desperately needed them, MacDonald wanted to ensure that they would just work and leave, so his government excluded persons of Mongolian or Chinese race from voting because they had no British instincts or British feelings or aspirations. The same year, they passed the Chinese Immigration Act, which stated that anyone of Chinese origin had to pay a head tax of $50 upon entering the country, which is a huge amount at the time. The interesting thing about MacDonald is... I often read about this legacy he left for other prime ministers, you know, the legacy of nation building and that he gave them the blueprints for how to govern. But nowhere do I see that he left behind a string of atrocities that in a way did all the stuff that now we just say sorry for.
1: Uh, and in 2006, the Canadian government under Stephen Harper apologized for the racist actions of the past for the head tax on Chinese Canadians that spanned from 1885 to 1923. In 2008, the Canadian government under Stephen Harper apologized
2: to former students and families for the Indian residential school system.
1: I've noticed lately that there's a lot of conversation about McDonald and his statues. And, I mean, I th- I, th- I think they're feeling it. Yeah, people have thrown red paint on them. One was spray-painted green.
2: They've been defaced with words like murderer and colonizer across them. Many schools are now looking
1: at changing their names just to perhaps honor someone less genocide And, I mean, that's why in Halifax they just removed a statue of Edward Cornwallis, uh, the so-called founder of Halifax and perpetrator of the Scalping Proclamation that offered a cash bounty to anyone who killed a Mi'kmaq person. It's okay to say, you know what? Who we once saw as being a person of distinction has changed. I think most of the recent additions to the Canadian monument landscape have been pretty wonderful. We took a poll. On Twitter and Facebook.
2: Yes, well, (laughs) it was very official. And we asked what new Canadian monuments people would like to see. We gave them a choice of... A bag of ketchup chips. I mean, I think we should honour it. We we all love them. I don't. Um, you know I don't. I love it. Drake. We all love him. I do like I Drake. I know. We I all do. love him. Um, or the Canada arm. And the winner got 43% of the vote, and it was the Canada arm, which means science wins. But also, a bag of chip ketchup chips was very close in the running.
1: What the monument could be is the Canada arm holding a bag oh, of ketchup chips. so beautiful. Or like Drake's body with uh, his like right arm being a Canada arm holding oh, oh, ketchup or chips. Or a
2: mini Drake sitting on a <gasps> bag of ketchup chips.
1: Yeah. More uh, Canada arms and bags of chips and less of old white people who have tried to wipe out other races. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and They're not all bad people, people who have statues or monuments. There's some good people, like Terry Fox's statue in St. John's that marks the spot where he dipped his artificial leg into St. John's Harbour during his East to West Coast Cross Canada run to raise money and awareness for cancer research.
2: Yeah. My favourite statue is in New Liscard, Ontario, a 15-year-old activist, Shannon Kostashen. Shannon fought for years for better school conditions on her reserve and eventually got the notice of Ottawa so she amplified the voices of Indigenous children across the country. In 2009, Shannon was nominated for an International Children's Peace Prize, awarded by Nobel Prize winners. Tragically, Shannon was killed in a car accident outside of New Lisgard. She was going to school there because there wasn't a school yet in Attawapiskat. Eventually, Attawapiskat got the school, and it's no doubt because of Shannon's work. The statue of Shannon stands by the water, where she dances just like she used to, arms outstretched, full of hope and promise, and surrounded by butterflies. The Secret Life of Canada is recorded in Toronto, on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, and most recently the Mississaugas of New Credit. It's hosted by me, Phelan Johnson. And me, Leah
1: Simone Bowen. And produced by Katie Jensen. With research assistance by Aaron Brandenburg. This episode was sponsored by our amazing patrons, and we want to thank everyone who made this episode possible. Remember, even a dollar a month helps. To support our work, go to patreon.com secretlifeofcanada. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at secretlifecad. If there's a story you'd like to see in an episode or a
2: piece of history you'd like to tell us about, please email us at secretlifeofcanada at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for exploring Canada's hidden history with us, and remember, pass it on.